I want to talk about this passage, and, and, and you know if you've been coming during the summer, we've been taking opportunities to show you some passages that, that uh, either mean a lot to me or, or Clay and when he's spoken, or, or maybe just passages that we feel like are just really important. And this is sort of both to me, and it comes from the book of Romans. I'm going to show you some more in just a moment. And it's pretty basic, really. It's pretty basic. Um, you know, so many things in life are basic. You know, it's kind of reminded me of a quote that I, I remember very well, Dr. Carl Barth. Just huge if you are into philosophy and theology and whether or not you agree with everything he ever wrote, if you know who he is. Um, he was asked in 1962, his only American visit, how would you summarize the essence of the millions of words that you have published? And he replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And um, I think it says it all. And that's kind of what we're doing today. We're, it's something very basic. We talk about unconditional grace, unconditional love. It can only come from God, only come from Christ, only come at the foot of the cross, as uh, Sophia just so wonderfully sang about. And I say that at the same time, I've talked about this before, you've heard messages from other people much more capable, I'm sure, about this passage before. I know Clay's talked about it before, maybe not this passage, but the concept. And yet, a lot of you still don't get it. And you say, oh, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to insult us? Um, No, the truth is, it's a hard concept. I mean, it's a basic concept, but it's a hard one to really get your, just to believe, It's so counterintuitive to think it's simply a matter of coming to the cross, trusting Christ for forgiveness and for grace and for unconditional love. And it's not a matter of doing something. It's so counterintuitive. I don't care whether you're Catholic background, Baptist background, or no background. Um, it's, it's It's a... hard thing for people to really get their arms around because they think, well, I got to go. And I've heard this, I've heard this so many times from, from guys, especially on the golf course, you know, they find I'm a minister and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm going to get my life cleaned up a little bit and come to church. And I'm always like, no, don't do that. None of the rest of us have. Um, we come because of who we are and because of who God is and praying for help in the process of getting our lives cleaned up. And God will do that as we, as we yield to him. We can't do that on our own. So I come to this passage in Romans chapter 5. It's just a few verses, and I want to read it to you. The message here is so clear. It's so simple. Uh, not that complicated at all, but it, it's just, I, I, really, I really want you to get your brain around it, okay? Because it's just so, such the essence of, of the gospel and who Jesus is. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Utterly helpless. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Key phrase. While we were still sinners, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. It's an important phrase there, key phrase. We have been made right in God's sight 
by the blood of Christ, by what Christ did on the cross for me and for you. That's the first passage I want you to see. The next one goes along with it. And, um, well, let me read it to you, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you about it. It's a great passage. It's the words of Christ in the Gospel of John, and uh, John chapter 10. Jesus is talking here. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Watch this. Watch this. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. No one can snatch them away from me. You're not going to, you know, some of you are going to not like this, but that's okay. Um, I think when I read that again this week one day, I, I just, it just hit me. This is silly, I know. It's really silly. Really, really silly. Um, but it really hit me how, um, and here we are on the, the wake of losing a great American, a great New Yorker, and Mr. Steinbrenner. And uh, Boston fans aren't here for the next service, I don't think, so I can do that. I guess I can talk about this. We may have one or two. If you are, you know what? The nice thing about being a, coming to this church is you're accepted wherever you are. You can be a Boston <laughs> fan, whatever. Anyway, Steinbrenner used to say something like this, you know, with free agency and the advent of free agency. He used to say, I'm going to take such good care of our guys. You say this about Jeter. He said this about different other, other uh, players throughout the years. I'm going to take such good care of our guys. I'm never going to let them, these really good players, be snatched away by somebody in free agency. I'm going to take such good care of them. I thought about that, and I thought, magnify that about 100 times or more. And, and now Mr. Steinbrenner, if he didn't know before, now knows there's a bigger boss. And, uh, and, and that there is a God in heaven, and magnify that when God says, nobody's going to take these guys away from me. I just think it's kind of cool. Oh, we do have a Boston fan. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, it, it's, uh, it, is, it, it is such an important truth. God says, God says, not George Steinberg, God says, nobody's going to take these guys away from me. So that's a pretty, pretty heavy voice saying God Almighty. And he says that about me. He says that about you. Nobody's going to take them away. They may get all screwed up. They may do this. They may do that. But they're mine. And I just find great comfort in that. I find great comfort that God will never cast me out, even, I can, even though when I am at my worst, the biggest jack, jerk, crazy person in the whole world. Um, and, and, um, and God's still saying, you're mine. Nobody's going to take you away from me. Not even yourself. It's a great, great passage. Mm. One, minute, one more, one more. Uh, Romans chapter 8. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, nothing. The common thread through all of this is for you to understand it is foolish to think that we can do anything to earn God's favor. We already have it. And, and there is never... There never has been, there never will be anything we can do to make ourselves a little more acceptable to Christ. 
And that's why the, the believer understands that these verses, uh, when he understands these verses, that, that, he, that is just, so, some of these people get excited about it too. Uh, when, when you understand these verses, it, it just causes you to be a, have a great deal of, 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 of humility and thankfulness and, and that, that, that of, of who God is. And you know, here's the thing about that. When I talk about that and say, you know, nothing can change God's love for you. And I say things like there's nothing you can do to make yourself more acceptable to God or to earn more of His love and acceptance. And when I say things like, is there nothing, if there's nothing you can do, there's therefore nothing you can do to lose it. There's nothing I can do to, to earn it. There's nothing I can do to lose it. This, this, this acceptance, this, this unconditional love from God. So when I say those statements, there's always a person or two or more who have in their brain the idea of thinking, well, then I can just go out and live any way I want to do. I can do anything I want to do, live any way I want to live, and God's still going to love me. He's still going to love me unconditionally. Yes, He is. He's still going to accept me and offer me forgiveness no matter how I live. Yes, He will. Well, aren't you teaching here, Rich, that people can live any way they want to live and, and God will still you know, love them? And, and, and here's the thing. I guess I am, but here's how this works. When we understand this love and this acceptance, it is one of the great motivating factors in the world to say, you know what, God, I know I can do anything, but hey, I want to live a life that's going to be honoring to you out of humility and out of, out of gratefulness to you. It has the exact opposite effect. People always worry about, well, doesn't that, you're telling people they can go live any way they want to live. I may be telling them that, but they're not going to if it's real to them. If it's real. So, time, I do this every, from every so often. Those of you who come, come, have been coming for a while, I do this every so often. I have a little test. So I'm going to give you a little test, okay? A little test to make sure you, well, or to see if you understand what it means for God's unconditional, amazing love for you and for me. Just a little test. You got to think about this. Don't raise your hands. Don't scream. Just, 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 uh, just uh, well, unless it's a baby, that's okay. But um, just think about this, all right? And uh, I'll ask you some questions, five questions. Do you differentiate between sins? Here's what I mean. You know, it's one thing if I, if I were to say to you, even me or somebody else, were to say to you this morning, oh, man, uh, you know, I had too much to drink last night. You might say, well, that's not good. I hope you won't do that again. I hope you didn't drive. But you're okay. It's okay. I mean, God forgives us, and, and we'll just kind of move on. Or maybe I were to say to you, um, Ah, uh, you know, I, I had this fight with my wife. I yelled and called her a name. That wasn't very good. You might say, well, that's not good, Rich. You shouldn't do that. Um, but, you know, seek forgiveness from her and God. and it, it, you'll be, We all have those issues. So, yeah, we're okay. But now what if I were to come and tell you I can't do this, but, but just pretend that I can. And I say, you know, I just... Uh, I, I falsified a bunch of books and did this and did this, and I'm going to end up taking a bonus of a million or two million dollars out of the church, and 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 I just because I just flat out lied on some stuff, I just totally falsified some documents, or my other company or whatever it is. 
I have a feeling I get a little different reaction out of some of you. Well, rich. No. That's really bad. Or if I came to you and said, oh, you know, I had a little too much to drink, and then I, I kind of went off with this woman last night, and, you know, we kind of got it, you know, shacked up somewhere, you know, or whatever. Then, then you'd be like, that's not okay. That's not okay. You see, we, we, see how we've taken, we've sort, of, we've sort of gone this whole thing here? We started off with, oh, man, I had too much to eat or drink, or we don't usually have too much to eat, but we should, because gluttony is a sin, too. Um, we can start off there and say, yeah, well, okay. And then we get down here to this really heavy-duty stuff, as we see it, and we, get, we, we make some kind of a distinction. Now, listen, please don't misunderstand. A person having one too many drinks and a person cheating on their wife, the ramifications are phenomenally different. I understand that. As well as to the person who's falsifying documents so he can take an extra million dollars and $2 million bonus. I, I understand. I understand the consequence. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about in the eyes of God. And if you're not careful with this, and so you may not agree with me still, that's okay. But if you're not careful with this, you end up being a stinking Pharisee. Some sins are okay, some sins aren't. No, that's not the way it works. God wants us to live in way, all, all of our lives in ways that are, that are going to be righteous and clean and, and, and righteous before Him. So, so that, that's one of those things. When we, when we understand God's grace and His unconditional forgiveness and, and what happens when we come to the cross of Christ, one of the things that happens is we're not going to be differentiating between sins. Sin means missing the mark, missing the mark that God set. So that's the first, the first little test. Do you differentiate between sins? Think about that. Second thing. Do you have great compassion for the repeat offender? Now, if somebody comes to you and, and they say, yeah, I did this and I did this, no matter how bad it is, you're going to be like, well, okay, that's not good, and we've got to do whatever we've got to do here to, to deal with all the practical consequences. But let's just, let's just, but let, let's, talk, let's talk the first time, the tenth time, the hundredth time. What's going to be your response? I'm glad to tell you that God says, look, all of you are repeat offenders. It's amazing. So, so we need to have compassion for that person. Again, there are a whole bunch of different other issues that we have to deal with, but I'm not talking about that today. I'm just talking about compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Do you have great compassion for the repeat offender? Because in some way, all of us are. Third one. Do you ever go into, I'm going to use this word in a non-clinical way, do you ever go into depression when realizing how bad you really are? Here's what happens sometimes to me with friends. Uh, as, a, as a pastor, people will come and they'll say, oh, you won't believe what I did. Uh, well, tell me about it. Uh, no, you won't believe what I did. No, tell me about it. Okay, I did this and I did this. I'm just the worst sinner and sometimes in tears. I, 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 did, I can't believe how bad I am. I'm horrible. And here's my response to that. It's important for you to realize you were just as bad before you committed that sin as you are after. Now, that's why Jesus came, and that's why you need the cross. Now, maybe this can be used as an encouraging moment for you to see, boy, I really am unrighteous. I really do need God. I do really do understand why Jesus came. Maybe we can use it for that perspective, but for us to sink into depression or whatever you want to call it when realizing how bad we really are, again, that might be a little bit of a double standard. Does it take a particular kind of sin for me to realize that? Or do I understand that's, 
that's, where, that's the kind of stuff I'm made out of, whether I've practiced that particular thing or not. So it's going to make you a graceful person as well. Third thing, fourth thing, sorry. Um, you are positive. Or, no, here's the question, really. Are you positive in your acceptance of grace and realize that you deserve nothing anyway? You don't deserve anything. And you're very positive about, about God's grace and God's blessing because however little they might be by other people's standards, it's more than I deserve. I'm just talking about God's grace and God's love and God's compassion. And that's an important issue. And when one, when one understands that, they have great, if you want to use, if it's a word, positivity about, about God's, accepting God's grace and so forth. It just, it just puts a certain amount of humility in you. I don't really deserve anything anyway. Last thing is, are you the kind of person that has immense gratitude because you know you are loved unconditionally by someone who knows you the best? There's one person, God Almighty, who knows every skeleton in your closet. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows everything you've even thought about doing and maybe didn't do. Knows some of the things that were right at the tip of your tongue, but they didn't come out. He knows all that. And he loves you unconditionally anyway. You, and my question really is this. Is, is there, is there some, some upbeatness about your life, some gratitude about your life, because the one who knows you the best, by far, loves you the most? Unconditionally. How many things unconditionally are there? There really aren't. I mean, sometimes you get parents who love you unconditionally, and that's rare even at that. But even then, certain, there are certain things. But God loves us unconditionally, unlike anything else in the world, no matter what. It's pretty awesome for me to know that God says to me, Rich Teeters, no matter what you do, I will always accept you and love you. If you go out and screw up a whole bunch of stuff and ruin your life and everybody else's life, I'm still going to love you. If you go out and do all the bad stuff that you can possibly, I'm still going to be there for you. If you, go, if you just fly off the handle and do, and, and do what, I'm still there. It's just amazing to me. That's how God operates. He loves us that much. My life will change, and this is the issue. This is the issue, is that as we live out this truth, it's a process. As we live out the grace, the forgiveness, the unconditional love that God has for us, not just getting it here in our brain, but letting it sink down into our hearts and into how we live our lives, that I am a person who's unconditionally loved by the God of the universe, and that's going to bring about a certain amount of humility to me, and it's going to bring about a great amount of gratitude when I'm grateful, I haven't got time to do any pity parties. I haven't got time to whine and complain. I'm just grateful because of God's blessing in my life. And, and, and I don't judge others and wonder if they got more or they got less or how come they're so screwed. I don't do that because I'm so grateful to be where I am because of God's grace. And that's the issue here. That's an important issue for us. God's unconditional love for us. While, I love that. While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. That's the cross of Christ. That's what we mean when we say, come to the cross of Christ, accept what He has done for you and for me, and the unconditional love and blessing that come with that. There is this song that Daniel's going to do. I'll tell you what, you're not going to believe me, but I have it right here. If you don't believe me, I'll show you. I'll show Daniel later, and he can... Right here, I have on my playlist, RT's Christian Faves, okay? I have a lot of things like that. Right here, Savior, Please. And the song is just phenomenal. It really, it really fits what we're talking about. Savior, please help me. And, and Daniel and the guys, come on up, and, uh, and girls, come on up and, and sing that. And, and, uh, and, and it's a prayer. Make it your prayer. I'm going to pray as they get ready. And, and you make it your prayer as well. All right, God Almighty, we thank you for your love and for your grace and for how you are working in all of our lives and how you give us this unconditional love that's, uh, that's, that's frankly hard for us to comprehend. And I pray, God, that we would and that we would understand that it comes when we come to you and because of the cross. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your love and for your grace. And we pray, God, that we would make this song and these words our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.